0: Stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. weekdays twelve thirty to three, seven seventy CHQR. Well,
1: I've been to Alcatraz, not as an inmate, as a tourist. Yeah, uh, when was that? A few years ago. Well, actually, that was like almost seven years ago. Now that I think about it, <laughs> anyway. But it, it's it's quite an experience to go there. Right And, yeah, I mean, it's, it seem, might seem like an odd tourist attraction when you think about it. Some godforsaken prison, but there's quite a story to Alcatraz and a real fascination with the island prison. So, yeah, if you're in San Francisco, I, I would certainly recommend it. And there is an enduring fascination with Alcatraz. There are a lot of people on the tour that day we were there. Part of the fascination with Alcatraz was, you know, the, how it was impenetrable. No one was going to ever escape from there. There was some who tried that it was an escape-proof prison. Oh, sure, there were those three, but they, surely they drowned, right? They didn't make it, right? The famous escape from Alcatraz, just a year, I believe, before the prison closed, was, of course, the subject of a movie starring Clint Eastwood, and still to this day the subject of some fascination. Did these three guys, who took their time planning all of this, very clever and audacious plan, did they pull it off? Did they do the impossible? Did they escape from this unescapable prison and live the rest of their lives? Are they still alive today? They would be rather elderly in their late 80s or early 90s. But did they make it? There's been a lot of debate about that over the years. I guess everyone's got their own theory. But in recent years, there's been some tantalizing evidence suggesting that well, maybe they did make it. A couple of years ago, a History Channel documentary, uh, Included a photograph that's purportedly of two of the the three escapees in Brazil in 1975. This week, the San Francisco CBS affiliate uh, got their hands on a letter, a letter that was sent to San Francisco police in 2013, purportedly from one of the men, who said that, yes, we made it. We're still alive, or I'm still alive, I'm in bad shape, I have cancer, but I would like to come forward, just promise me I don't have to go back to jail. Police spent some time looking into it, and the results of that were uh, inconclusive. Well, joining us for some thoughts on this uh, enduring mystery, very pleased to welcome to the program uh, Alcatraz historian and author Michael Esslinger. Uh, Michael, great to have you with us. You're welcome to the program.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, before
1: we get into to what surfaced and how credible it is, I mean, just your, your thoughts on why this story uh, still fascinates people after all of these years. I, I guess we all love a good mystery, don't we?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of incredible. You know, obviously, when uh, you know, Alcatraz opened, it was meant to sort of house America's you know, worst criminals, if you will. And it was actually deemed at the time to be inescapable. So I think the fact that these men, you know, escaped the rock, of course, there was also the the famous film, which I think, you know, helped sort of, you know, create their uh, their folk hero image, if you will. Right. Um, But it's also something that's just been debated, you know, for for many, many years. And, um, you know, with the the great piece about it for me that I always love is that, you know, for every piece of evidence that would suggest they died, there's this other piece of evidence and surfaces that shows that they may have lived.
1: It is funny, isn't it? As you mentioned, I mean, these guys were in Alcatraz for a reason, right? But um, they, they have attained that status, that folk hero status, where I think, you know, people more or less hope that they did survive. There, there's kind of that, that, you know, that we're, we're rooting that uh, it's true. We want it to be true.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of amazing because, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, they were they were criminals. I mean, in the case of, you know, the Anglin the brothers, what's interesting with them is that these gentlemen... Um, you know they certainly you know bank robbery is not a victimless crime by any means but the bank that they had robbed to get themselves in prison actually ended up um, they had robbed the bank with toy guns so you know they were not violent felons so to speak Um, you know it's kind of amazing to me is that uh, in the transcripts from the trial the bank president actually had been present and uh, he ended up uh, fainting and so they actually stopped the robbery uh, they waited. They got him some water, so they helped him before they continued the robbery and got the money.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but, it, but at any rate, you know, of course, escaping, you know, right under the um, the noses of the guards, uh, making their own life vest and rafts and then just disappearing into night and into history, I think is what's captured the interest of everybody.
1: Right. And it just, I mean, it was so brilliant, and it was so audacious, too. And I think there, there's a grudging respect, even if you think that these guys belong behind bars, just that they were willing to do it and able to do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite something.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, you know, you got to remember it's been now more than 50 years since the escape, and whenever a new piece of evidence comes, you know, it surfaces, it, you know, it always captures headline news. It's incredible to me.
1: And now maybe if, you know, 50 years ago we'd found their, their bodies or something, maybe the story would have faded, but there's just that lingering question of what happened. And maybe they did die, but we just don't know. And so it remains an open question. Uh, and, and I think that's why there's still that. People want people want to know what happened. It is a mystery. So what do you make of, of the prospect, the possibility that, that they did make it? What, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting, because for the first, I'd say the first 20 years that I interviewed a lot of inmates that knew them um, and, you know, really studied the escape in detail, I was one of the people that was fairly convinced that they didn't make it. You know, I just, there really wasn't any land-based evidence or anything like that that would show that they had survived. Even though they didn't find bodies, you know, there were still people that committed suicide off the Golden Gate Bridge where their bodies were never recovered. Right. But what's interesting was that, you know, two. I think there was two really significant developments. One was that around 2009, 2010, there was a telegram that was released by the FBI. That interestingly enough, um, they came back later and stated that it had been released an error. But what was interesting about it was was that there. Well, there was two two telegrams, but one specifically talked about a car being stolen the very morning of the escape from Marin. And while that in itself isn't, you know, telling, I I believe, I mean, it could have been stolen by anybody, obviously, but the same car shows up uh, three hours later, uh, about two hours away from from San Francisco, and the report was that there was three men driving the car that had ran this gentleman off the road. Now, I will say that he would have had knowledge that um, he probably would have heard about the escape by that time, but what he would have not known is that that actual car, the car that he reported with that license plate, definitely had been stolen right from the Marin area where they had planned to go initially. And then more interesting, too, is that the the Anglin family, in 1992, they were paid a visit by a childhood friend, a gentleman by the name of Fred Breezy. Fred had actually served time in prison as well for drug smuggling. He was a pilot, and he had smuggled drugs back and forth to South America. So he approaches the family, says, I'm here to make good on a promise, and he presents them with a photograph that he alleged that he took in 1975 that he claimed was the brothers. Uh, It ended up being the uh, subject of a History Channel documentary called Alcatraz Search for the Truth. Um, But I will say that, you know, I got to watch kind of behind the scenes a few different forensic analysts who examine the photo and I will say that, you know, even the people that were not on camera really had nothing to gain by giving an honest opinion. They felt that the photograph was legitimate. So, okay. you know, and I still have a lot of questions. I mean, I, there's never been any uh, proof or other evidence that's come forward to legitimize the photograph. But, um, you know, the experts that I watched all seemed to feel that the photograph was legitimate. Um, it looks to me like it could be them, a lot of the facial features. Um, just in general. I mean, so it's, it's, it's possible. It really is that they survived.
1: Yeah, it certainly is. So uh, that brings us to this letter that we heard about this week. And I guess it was uh, in 2013 when the San Francisco Police Department received this. Uh, and the analysis ended up being inconclusive. But the letter reads, my name is John Anglin. I escaped from Alcatraz in June 1962 with my brother Clarence and Frank Morris. I'm 83 years old and in bad shape. I have cancer. Yes, we all made it that night, but barely. What do you make of this letter?
0: Well, as much as I would like to believe that it was real, um, you know, I I think the letter, in my own opinion, is just a hoax. I mean, I've I've looked at the entire letter. I did a lot of comparison of the handwriting, and I'm certainly no expert. I'm not a graphologist or anything. But, um, you know, the handwriting samples do not even compare to any of the three escapees at all. Yeah. Um, You know, it's... Clearly, I mean, it's just they're not even remotely close. So uh, it's not one of the three. And every once in a while, you know, there's always some type of, you know, controversy, suspect information that comes forward. And unfortunately, I just I think it's one of them. I think it's a, a fake letter myself.
1: Yeah. What do you think it is? I mean, that, that, that would motivate someone to 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 sit down and, and I'm going to write this letter. I'm going to try to trick the police into thinking that it's it's from these guys. Do people just want to somehow be a part of this story or what is it?
0: yeah and and maybe I mean, maybe they're just you know trying to see you know if it can you know get legs or something and just how far it goes in the media I mean it's kind of amazing to me that you know this letter comes out and it's just become this national story here i mean it's it's amazing, you know it's been all over the national news yep. um it's been around the world. I got an email this morning from somebody you know in Holland who said that it's made their their paper um you know so it's uh it, it's incredible to me, and I think it it'll only inspire more like this you know, probably to come forward in the future. Well, just my...
1: But you say, but I mean, getting back to the photo, that if we want to, to look at potentially convincing evidence, that we should uh, be more interested in, in that than this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that that is a, a piece of evidence that, you know, really does have some potential legitimacy to it. I mean, the... I've looked at the series of photographs, and I know for a fact that the photographs are real. I mean, they're 1970 snapshots... They're not fake. The, the family had them, in fact, for many, many years. I was aware of the photos going back to 2008, 2009. I never really thought much of them. I mean, I, I wasn't convinced, you know, that it was them. And I thought, well, they, you know, they looked a lot different. They're much heavier in the photographs. Um, but it wasn't until I was watching, you know, analysts start to examine the photograph that it really made me kind of take a second look. And the more that I looked at it, the more I thought through it. And then I ended up going through and uh, doing a lot of research on Fred Breezy. And he ends up being the real deal. You know, he um, you know, he went to prison for drug smuggling. He was a pilot. Uh, when he was caught and went to prison, he had crashed his plane. He was using a, a waterbed mattress as an extra fuel tank on the floor of the cabin. And when he crashed, his plane was overweight. Um, so it's it's possible. I mean, it's absolutely possible. I mean, he was going to South America, and he could have met with them. I mean, I I just guess I wouldn't understand. You know, what would his motivation be to bring these photographs? You know, give them to the family, right. um, and had claimed that he'd been with them. I mean, and you know, the other side of the coin is, uh, it's hard for me to believe that you couldn't find any evidence that they had been there because they knew the um, the general area that these men had been, and they couldn't find a trace of them anywhere. But at the same time, you know, it, it, I, I'm on the fence, whereas before I was absolute that they had definitely perished.
1: Yeah, if, say, for example, they, they did happen to be alive, that they survived it, they're alive to this day, w- would they still face consequences for what they did way back in 1962?
0: Yeah, you know, unfortunately, it's still an open case with the U.S. Marshal Service. Um, you know, they're escapees they're fugitives, so definitely they would, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think that there would be a probably an outcry from the public, and that would probably, I think, you know, generate some leniency. But in the end, you know, if they were captured, they would be arrested and uh, probably sent to, uh, you know, sent to court.
1: Well, I mean, if they probably did perish, like yeah. I mean, if they did perish, I mean, at this point, obviously, we'll, we'll never find proof of that. But, I mean, there is still the potential that there's other evidence out there that, that might um, back up the theory that they, they are alive, or at least that they did survive.
0: Yeah, and, you know, another really interesting piece of evidence was that about, um, well, February of 1963, so just, you know, a few months after the escape happened, There's a set of bones that wash up near Point Reyes, California, which is, um, I think, about 30 or 40 miles north of San Francisco. And a couple found a a set of bones that they, you know, believe to be human. They call the police department. The coroner examines the bones, and basically what they come up with is that they, you know, it's a male, uh, a rough age. It's it's not a full skeleton, but they find it's, uh, you know, partial of a, a femur. I think the pelvis was intact and also part of the spine, so what they come out of it is is that um, they believe that it is a male um, about of the same age of the escapees, and so for many, many years, you know I had always heard from different people debating the case and even a lot of the law enforcement people I interviewed that they were absolute that those bones belonged to one of the three so In around 2000, I believe it was about 2010, 2011, the Marshal Service ended up testing the bones against Frank Morris' lineage. But the the bones themselves were so degraded that um, I guess, uh, you know, like using hair follicles was not enough to extract the DNA that they needed. So in 2014, we exhumed the third brother, who was part of the same bank robbery that sent the other two brothers to Alcatraz, he went to a different prison. He attempted to escape about a year after their escape from Alcatraz. He dies in the escape going over an, electrical, uh, an electric security fence. And so we exhumed him. We did an autopsy and extracted his DNA. And the results, I think, were profound because it proved that the bones did not belong to any of the two brothers. Melbourne. So it's it sort of deep. It, it deepens the mystery even a little bit more that, you know, now we know for a fact that those bones did not belong to any of the three. Yeah.
1: Well, it's a, it's a fascinating story nonetheless. Uh, and again, I mean, there's the opportunity people can go to Alcatraz, see these cells, see these, these tunnels for themselves. Uh, is the website. Michael, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate this.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
1: Or right, That's author and historian Michael Esslinger, AlcatrazHistory.com. So his thoughts, and he's followed this very closely, spoken to a lot of people, and he's on the fence. I, I think it's more likely that they died, but it doesn't mean they, they certainly died. Even if it's 20%, 30% probability that they made it, that's, that can still happen. <laughs> Maybe they did. It's pretty wild to think. But yeah, I mean, for this Frank Breezy to, to go to the family with this photograph and give it to them. He didn't go to the media. He didn't try to sell it to, to the uh, National Enquirer. Didn't try to get famous. Went to the family to tell them this. Give them the picture. Right? And I guess people do weird things for weird reasons. But I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, the, the picture is interesting. The letter is here. Michael's, uh, he's not so sure about the letter but he thinks the picture is is compelling. Anyway, 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.